Welcome to Queued Up. It is President's Day, February 20th, 2023. Quentin Pelzel with you. Thank you so much for tuning in wherever you are, however you may be. Thank you so much for making me part of your day. As always, there is just so much to talk about, even though we are kind of in a lull, kind of in between football and baseball. There is basketball going on, but it's the All-Star Game. I'll get into that and how disappointing that was watching that really no hockey going on either so we're kind of at a point now in as we get towards the end of February where there's really not much going on you kind of got to occupy yourself I know there was XFL over the weekend I didn't get to watch it but I heard that the people that did watch it it was it was pretty entertaining to watch I think I might give it a try next weekend and then of course you had the Genesis open Tiger Woods made the cut somehow on one leg, and uh, John Rahm ended up winning that, and he is the world's number one player. So John Rahm, I've always liked John Rahm. I know we've kind of he's kind of had some ups and downs over the past couple years, but I think this is like the second or third time where he's been the world's number one. So congratulations to John Rahm. I've always liked him, and for Tiger Woods, he actually came out after the tournament and said that he was only going to be playing in the majors. And then he'll handpick two or three tournaments throughout the year as well. So it does look like Tiger Woods is his body is just not cooperating with him, and he's just going to handpick his events from here on out. That's the point that he's at in his career, and I think we all can see that, especially him walking 72 holes over the weekend, and it's just a it's just a huge commitment for him, and he just can't do it mentally or physically. And I totally understand that. From what he's been through physically, um, it's virtually impossible to do what he did. And he actually made the cut at the Genesis, which is actually insane. But John Rom wins that. I didn't want to start the podcast with that, but I kind of just went on a tangent. I did want to start, though, with Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. The situation just got a whole lot more dicey for the Giants and a whole lot more unknown. I ended the podcast on Friday last week saying that, yeah, the Giants and the and Daniel Jones will get a deal done. I have uber confidence in that, but just yesterday or a couple days ago, definitely over the weekend, Daniel Jones came out and actually changed agents. He changed from CAA, which is a pretty well-known agency, to Athletes First. I've never heard of this, but upon doing further research, they have actually gotten big deals done. For quarterbacks around the league, I think the most the most notable uh, one of their clients is Deshaun Watson, and he got like the first fully guaranteed contract, the highest guaranteed contract for a quarterback. And we all know the controversy surrounding Deshaun Watson and all of those allegations that he's had. So um, to get Deshaun Watson that type of money, Daniel Jones was like, okay, you know what? If Deshaun Watson can get that, why can't I? So. I think he went over there with the intention of getting more than what the Giants were offering him and more than what CAA was able to get. Apparently, he just wasn't happy with that. So now this turns into more of an unknown situation. Like I said, I think Daniel Jones, according to some articles that I was reading, he wants north of $40 million over the course of a long-term contract. Personally, I don't think he's worth that. I mean, if he gets more than $40 million, you're talking about Jones being paid towards the top five quarterbacks in the league. Um, I know Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, they're all in line to get um, 
contracts this offseason and they'll probably end up getting north of 40 million dollars too so if daniel jones signed a contract like that right now yes he's top five now but once the season starts and once we get into next year with joe burrow signing he'll probably get knocked down to number nine or ten in the league still that's a lot of money up front especially for a team right now that is in a rebuilding process they have a lot of holes to fill and if you're going to commit 40 plus million dollars over the course of four or five years to Daniel Jones, I think that's a huge commitment for the Giants. I think they definitely want to get a long-term deal done with Jones. I think they realize that Jones can be their franchise quarterback. Brian Dable, Joe Shane going into the year didn't really know what they had in Daniel Jones, but I think now after this year, they're like, yeah, I mean, we can win with this quarterback. And we certainly saw it this past year. They even won a playoff game despite all the expectations that they had to win only three or four games. Daniel Jones carried the Giants to the playoffs, and he did pretty well. But is he worth $40-plus million? Here, I was thinking maybe he was going to get somewhere around 30 and I think that's what the general public was thinking. But upon further review, it looks like Daniel Jones does want $40, $45 million, which is absolutely insane. Um, the Giants don't have to give him that over the course of three or four years. What they can do, though, is franchise tag him. So what the NFL does is, unlike really any other sport, I know the NBA you have restricted free agency too, but if you draft the player and the player goes through their four or five years of being on their rookie deal, the team has the option to franchise tag him, which basically gives the team the rights to the player for the year. And the position player is paid based off of the top five salaries in the NFL. So quarterbacks get paid a decent amount of money. So that number for this year for Daniel Jones, if the Giants were to franchise tag him, would be somewhere around $32 million. If they do that, other teams would be open to negotiate a long-term deal with Daniel Jones. And if they were able to do that, the Giants would have a chance to match that and would get two additional first-round picks from that team that plucks Daniel Jones from them. So I think the Giants are in a good spot regardless. Yes, I think getting a long-term deal is going to be more difficult between Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. So I think the most likely scenario at this point, and last week, I didn't think this was the likely scenario. I thought that they were going to sign Jones to a long-term deal, maybe three or four years, 30 mil per but now it looks like Daniel Jones is really trying to force the Giants' hand. And my question, too, is, is there another team out there that is willing to pay Daniel Jones that amount of money, $40 million per year for four or five years? Is there a team out there that's desperate enough to do that? And I know Daniel Jones, going into the year, he wasn't looked at as even really a top 10 quarterback or top 15. But after this year, he sprung himself up there, and now... Going into this free agency with all these quarterbacks available, Daniel Jones is probably number two, right behind Aaron Rodgers. I would take Jones over Carr. I would take him over Tannehill. I would certainly take him over Garoppolo, Baker Mayfield, and every one of those kind of same-tier quarterbacks that are available. So Daniel Jones does have some value. The only question is whether or not Jones is going to be able to replicate that same success in years to come with a different head coach. And, I mean, he hasn't been able to do what he did until this past year. The three years leading up to it, he's been, he was really inconsistent. He was a turnover machine. And that is one of the main reasons why the Giants didn't even pick up his fifth-year option going into the year. Remember, 
if the Giants picked up his fifth-year option, they'd only owe him $22 million this year, and we'd be all set. But no one was slamming the Giants for not picking up that fifth-year option going into the year. So that's why no hoopla is really made because of that, because at the time it was looked at as the right decision. You know, this is not the quarterback that the Giants can win with. We'll see how he can do this year. But after this year, it's pretty much done. And I was definitely in that camp too. I thought no matter what, Jones would be gone. But I think the Giants coaching staff really wants him. I think Jones really does want to stay with the Giants. But I think he's just trying to get as much money as he possibly can. And why wouldn't he too? I mean, this is one of his big moments in his career to make money. So why wouldn't you? I mean, this is their livelihood. They need to maximize every single penny they can get, not only for themselves, but for the players who are behind them, for all the young players who um, aspire to get huge contracts, if they play well, to get rewarded fairly. Um, It's for all the other players in the Players Association certainly wants Daniel Jones to get all the money that he possibly can. But I was talking about any other teams out there, maybe the Panthers, the Falcons. They would have to be teams that have a ton of cap room, can afford to pay Jones, and then also have more salary after to fill those holes. As for the Giants, we all know the amount of holes that they have on the offensive line, defensively. The linebackers are abysmal. The secondary at times can be abysmal too. So... There's definitely a lot of holes that the Giants need to fill, and with that in mind, are they willing to give Jones and commit that much money to Daniel Jones, which they don't have to give a long-term deal to him? I would say at this point, with everything that's transpired just over the past few days and just from the outside, it looks like it's going to be very difficult to get a long-term deal done. I think the Giants want to stay around 30 to 33, maybe 34 million, but Daniel Jones wants 40 plus, so... I think right now the Giants do have more leverage than Daniel Jones, and I think they're willing to just go year by year with Jones. And, I mean, all of these scenarios certainly favor the Giants. Give him 30 mil for this franchise tag. We'll see how the year goes. And if he's able to replicate that success or maybe even get better, Jones will be in line for a new deal. And if he's not, if Daniel Jones just reverts back to what he was a couple years ago without Brian Dable, then the Giants can say, see ya. And they can go after a quarterback in the draft or see what they can do in free agency. So I think right now, the best course of action for the Giants is getting Daniel Jones to a franchise tag and see um, what other teams are willing to offer in terms of maybe a couple first round picks for Jones, which I just don't see. I don't think other teams will be willing to give up a couple first round picks for Jones and pay him 40 plus million. So I think the Giants are in a good spot. Daniel Jones will be their quarterback next year. As for Saquon Barkley, I think that's definitely a completely different situation. You only have one franchise tag per team. So if the Giants use the tag on Jones, that means Barkley's probably going to be done. The Giants offered Barkley 12 mil at the beginning of the year over the course of three or four years. He rejected it. And I don't think the Giants are willing to move up to 15 or $16 million from what um, I'm seeing and from what all these articles are saying too. So that means Saquon Barkley is gone. And I just think it's a really good business decision, especially because the Giants have so many holes, like I said, and you cannot afford to pay Barkley that much money, especially with a, in a salary cap league. It's just not, a, the running backs are just not as valuable 
as the quarterback position, as the interior O-line, interior D-line, as the wide receivers. So it's just it's just does not favor the running backs. Have another team that's a championship contender, like the Bills maybe. I, I keep hearing the Bills. I think it would be a good fit for Barkley to go there. It's just are they are the Bills willing to pay that amount of money to Barkley? But from the looks of it, it does not look like Barkley will be back with the Giants. I could be totally wrong, but right now, on February 20th, it does not look like, look like Barkley will be back unless they can get a long-term deal done with Daniel Jones and then use the tag on Barkley. As for the NBA All-Star game last night, and I did skip over the Jets. There really hasn't been anything that transpired. They did meet with Derek Carr over the weekend. They went to some fancy restaurant in Summit, New Jersey. Um, Nothing really came of it. No contract came of it. And I really didn't hear anything in terms of the talks progressing. I think it was just more of kind of a get to know you and uh, see kind of where the mindset is for both Carr and and the Jets. Personally, if you listen to my podcast on Friday, I said that it's Aaron Rodgers or bust. Derek Carr does not get the Jets over the top. And yes, maybe he improves the Jets winning games by two or three. Maybe they go from a seven-win team to a 10-win team. But once you get to the playoffs, you're still not going to be able to beat the behemoths of the Bills, the Bengals, and the Chiefs. So without Aaron Rodgers. With Aaron Rodgers, you got a legitimate shot. Without Aaron Rodgers, you don't. So that's where I stand on that. As for the All-Star game last night, just want to touch on this a little bit. It was horrible. I went into the game thinking, you know, yeah, maybe the first quarter and the second quarter, not going to really play any defense. I can see them put up uh, 50 points in the first quarter and then have over 100 for each team by the end of the first half. But that was not the case. I mean, they literally did not play any defense from the first quarter to the last quarter. And I know the NBA last year kind of modified the rules to increase the competition. But every single year I go into this thing thinking they're going to actually play some defense this year. The game is actually going to be a competitive, fun game to watch. But instead, turns into Ole defense. Threes are taken from half court, most of them missing. And then just some cool dunks. It becomes basically a glorified dunk contest. And that's just not something that I wanted to watch. I saw the dunk contest a couple days ago, and I got my fair share of dunks. That's it. I don't want to see any more. I want to see competitive basketball with the best players in the world. And right now, the NBA just has a major problem because everyone feels the same way that I do in terms of just going in, getting sold this bill of goods that it is going to be competitive. I mean, how many times did we hear throughout the the broadcast last night, whether you were watching on TNT or TBS, saying, yeah, you got to wait for the fourth quarter. Got to wait for the fourth quarter. It's going to be really competitive. But the fourth quarter was horrible too. It was just from beginning to end terrible. And the head coach for the Denver Nuggets, Mike Malone, said that it was the worst game of basketball he's ever seen. And I was paraphrasing a little bit. I don't know if he said that exactly, but you get the point. It was horrible, and everyone else feels the same way as Mike Malone. So I don't know what the NBA is going to do. I don't know how you increase the competition. I just think you know they've been doing this forever. It's been the same thing. I haven't, I didn't, I haven't really gone back and watched the 1980 NBA All Star games, but I could only imagine that it was at least a little bit more competitive than what it was last night. So that's just where I stand. Um, I go in every single year thinking that it's going to be different, but it is just not. It actually somehow gets worse and worse every year. So that's where I stand on the All-Star game. I just want to touch on that just a little bit 
because I know some people were watching that, but I turned it off at the end of the first half because I just couldn't stand it. Plus, halftime took probably an hour, and I just didn't want to watch that. I just went right to bed. But spring training is right around the corner as we have just a few more minutes left in this podcast. The Yankees and the Mets have reported, and I know some people did report a little bit early just because of the World Baseball Classic, which is coming up in a few weeks. That is going to be really fun to watch. But uh, spring training has started, and apparently... Kodai Senga looks really good, and I saw some videos. You can kind of see some videos that are posted on the internet of Kodai striking out Pete Alonso and striking out Jeff McNeil or whoever it was. He looked really good, but I don't really put any stock into how good these pitchers look against their own hitters, especially at this point in spring training. I mean, we're February 20th. These guys are barely back from vacation, and how it always pans out, too, the pitchers are always ahead of the hitters. And we see that throughout the first week of games, even the second week of games. It always takes some time for the hitters to get back their rhythm and balance at the plate. The pitchers can just get up there onto the mound and throw a baseball. The hitters have to get the timing down, their swing down, the mechanics of their swing, the technique. There's just so much that goes into trying to square up or even make contact with a baseball that it just favors the pitcher's immensely especially early on in spring training so Pete Alonso afterwards said that I'm happy I'm not facing Kodai Senga what else was he I'm not I'm happy I'm not facing Kodai Senga throughout the regular season and I'm happy that these abats don't count but I mean what is what else is he gonna say and uh I mean we'll see I'll I'll make the judgment for myself on how good Kodai Senga looks in spring training once those games do start and those games will start a less less than a week from today on Saturday, the Mets actually have a doubleheader split squad game against the Marlins. But as for the Yankees, there was some reports that Nestor Cortez looks like he'll be back in time for the regular season. So that'll be good. I know he was dealing with a little bit of a hamstring injury, especially with Frankie Montas out for the year. It's good to get Nestor Cortez back and solidify at least one through four in that Yankee rotation. I want to go back to the Mets here. And I just hope that Max Scherzer does not air it out and throw 110 pitches in the first game of spring training like he did last year because we all know how last year ended. I think Scherzer kind of ran out of gas even though he took a month off with that injury. I said he took a month off, but he had that oblique injury, didn't pitch for a month, and he still came out and he looked like he was out of gas towards the end of the year. So I just hope he paces himself along with Justin Verlander. He doesn't have to be that bulldog guy in spring training, you know, Pick your spots. Pick some spots. You don't even have to be that full bulldog guy in the regular season, especially if the Mets are 15, 20 games over 500. He can afford to go five, six innings, throw 90 pitches, and be done and save that arm for later in the season, which he's getting up there in age. He's 40 years old. I would certainly rather have Max Scherzer pitching really well at the end of the year than pitching really well at the beginning of the year, and I think all Mets fans voice my concern as well so that'll do it for me on this monday podcast happy president's day uh thank you for listening i really appreciate it and i will be back on friday to recap everything that has gone on hopefully we hear something from aaron Rodgers. i don't know if he's out of his retreat yet but who knows and then i will be talking about everything else that pops up throughout the week as well so enjoy your week i'll be back on friday Take care and have a terrific rest of your Monday.